Welcome, Christ Church. I hope that you've had a splendid week. Today, I want to talk to you about the Great Exchange. As I do, a couple of announcements. Um, we have a QR code somewhere around here. Uh, sometimes they show it on the screen. Don't forget to, to scan that so you can find out all of the upcoming events and opportunities uh, that we've got going on. There's one in particular I want you to know about. Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to continue what we're calling the Pathway to Purpose and if you call Christ Church your church, then I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage and ask that you come uh, starting this Wednesday at 645, and uh, we will talk to you about how you can take your next steps uh, in your faith journey and your commitment to Christ Church and how you can help us advance our, our mission, our vision. So please come out for that at 645 on Wednesday. Today I want to talk to you about the great exchange, Mark chapter 15, you want to turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Um, Jesus was a perfect man. And we've been studying the gospel of Mark for over a year now. And that's one of the things that I'm learning is just as a human being, he was incredible. Uh, he was tempted and tried in every way that we are, and yet he was without fault. Uh, he never failed, not one bit, not for one second. He was perfect in every way. Uh, and then on top of that, every place that he went, things got better. Sick people were made well. Hungry people were fed. Uh, people that were in bondage were set free. Uh, dead people were raised back to life. Uh, he, he reached the height, the pinnacle of humanity, in that no man has ever been more worthy of honor and glory and praise than Jesus Christ, just based on his life. No man. And that's why every place that Jesus went, a crowd would gather around him, a multitude would gather around him, and they would try to make him the king. Time after time after time, we've seen that in the Gospel of Mark. And yet, his earthly life culminates not with a golden throne, but with a wooden cross. He's not coronated as a king and escorted to a palace. Instead, he's condemned as a criminal and handed over to die. And so this is the question I want to answer today. What happened? Why was the perfect man, the height of human existence, why was it nailed to a tree and what does that mean for us today? Let's all stand together. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up, led him away, handed him over to, be, to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered, you say so. The chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, aren't you going to answer Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. 
And that's why we're here. We're singing songs to you and we're praying to you. We've got our eyes closed and our head bowed. We've gathered around your word, gathered with your people because in our heart of hearts, Lord, we know that we need you. Not just a little bit, Lord, but we're lost without you. We're desperate for you. And so, Lord, we come today with our ears as open as they can be and our eyes as open as they can be and our heart as open as it can be. And we just ask that you'll speak. And, Lord, all those barriers that are in the way of, of us and your purpose, your plan for our life, Lord, I pray you'll tear all those obstacles down. Lord, I pray you'll speak through me today for your glory, for their good. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for those around you. A lot of hurt in this room. A lot of burdens. A lot of anxieties. Lord, we lift them up to you. Pray for the people that may watch this online. that they might be edified, brought nearer to Jesus. Pray for our city, especially those that are lost, that they might come to know the Lord. Take a moment, pray for yourself. The Lord is near. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. i got to do this. Uh, there's a pretty blonde girl that just walked in, and I need to congratulate her publicly. One of her students won the state talent competition last night. So that's my wife, for those of you that are new, and this is kind of weird for you. It's my wife, so I'm allowed to brag on her. That's one of the perks of being a preacher. Good job, hon. I'm proud of you. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 1. If you would have got here on time, you wouldn't have messed up the flow of the sermon, but it's all good. The brownie points I just got, I lost. Man. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, so the sun had just come up, uh, having held a meeting with the elder scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up, led him away, handed him over to, be, to Pilate. The whole Sanhedrin, uh, this, the Sanhedrin is like the Jewish version of the Supreme Court. In the Jewish understanding, the Sanhedrin was like heaven's court on earth. It was God's appointed judges. And uh, the verdicts that they doled out, they, the Jewish people, they considered that to be kind of a word from God. Unfortunately, corrupt men on the court had already decided what they wanted to do with Jesus. They hated him, and they wanted him dead. But they just couldn't find a reason to condemn Jesus to death. You'll remember last week we studied Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, it says that they were looking for a reason to condemn Jesus. They weren't looking for the truth. They were looking for a reason to condemn Jesus. And, and then they went and, in his closet, and they looked through all the skeletons and looked under the bed for all the stuff, and they couldn't find. It says they could not find any reason to condemn Jesus. After a lot of conniving and lying, they finally convicted him of something called blasphemy. Blasphemy. Blasphemy is to insult God. And they viewed it as an insult to God when Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God. Two problems with their charge. 
Number one, Jesus was the Son of God, which history proves. We'll see that in just a couple of weeks. So he didn't blaspheme. Here's the other problem to their charge against Jesus. The Jewish people are ruled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had made it illegal for the Jewish court to execute anyone. Therefore, this uh, supreme Jewish ruling class, Supreme Court, they had to figure out a way to convince the Roman authorities to execute Jesus. But blasphemy wasn't going to cut it. You, you know, the Roman Empire, they worshiped all sorts of gods, and so they didn't have a problem blaspheming the God of the Jews. That wasn't a big deal to them. They definitely weren't going to kill somebody over it. So the Sanhedrin, they come together, they're going to make a plan. That's what this meeting's about. How, how, do, we, how do we make sure that Jesus ends up dead at the end of this day? So this is their plan. They tied Jesus up. He's not resisted in any way at any point, and yet they tie him up like he's a criminal, and then they lead him to Pilate and accuse him of being an insurrectionist, a threat to the Roman Empire. So it brings us to verse 2. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you say so. Now Pilate, uh, just a little bit of background, it's going to help you understand the story a little bit better. Pilate was from Spain. He was a war hero in a lot of ways, and he moved to Rome, and he made uh, some wealth there. And after a while, uh, he had an arranged marriage with the emperor's granddaughter. So he married into the royal family. Shortly thereafter, he was appointed to be the governor of Judea. It's funny how that kind of thing continues to happen, isn't it? So he was was appointed the governor of Judea. Now, the governor uh, was Roman's representative authority to that region, And his main jobs was to keep the peace. Uh, You'll remember in World Civ class, Pax Romana, uh, the peace of Rome. Uh, What they meant by that is we don't want people revolting against Roman rule. So it was his job to, as gently as he could, as passive-aggressively as he could, to keep the peace in the region. The other thing that he was supposed to do is collect taxes. Now, uh, the thing about Judea, the place he was stationed, it was the lowest spot in all the Roman Empire, as far as the place that you wanted to be stationed. Uh, How many of you worked fast food growing up? Yeah, I think everybody should have to work fast food before they graduate high school. You learn a lot. When you work fast food, the first job they give you, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, they give you the fry station. Is that right? Because it's hard to mess up on the fry station, so that's where they put you. Uh, Judea is the fry station of the Roman Empire. The Jewish people, the reason it was so hard, the Jewish people were hard to govern. There's a story about uh, Pilate, and he brought in these emblems that represented the Roman Empire. Uh, Some people say it was a banner, and it had the face of Caesar on it. And he set it around the temple, the Jewish temple. Now, this was very, very offensive to the Jewish people. They thought it was sacrilegious. They thought it was blasphemous. And so they uh, they went to Pilate's residence, which was, was a couple days' journey to Pilate's personal residence, and they started protesting outside of his house. We didn't like that much, so he threatened to kill all the protesters, and this is what they did. They pulled the collar of their, uh, their robes down, and they stuck out their neck, as if to say, we would rather you cut our head off than to see those emblems at our temple. So these are some difficult people to govern. Pilate has been put in a tough spot because he's trying to make a name for himself. He wanted to climb the ladder, He wants out of the fry line in the Roman Empire, 
but these people keep putting him in no-win situations. And so he's kind of in a bad mood, and he asks Jesus, because he's irritated by these Jewish people again, he asks Jesus, so you, you are the king of the Jews? This is a sarcastic question, because Jesus doesn't have the appearance of a king. You got to remember, he's been up all night. By this point, he's been beaten and spit on. His hair's a mess. Part of his beard's been ripped out. His eye's probably black. His nose is probably broken. He's in bad shape. His clothes are uh, stained with sweat and blood. And he's alone. There's no generals by his side. There's nobody come to defend him. And so none of these attributes, outward appearances, give any idea that Jesus is royalty, that Jesus should be taken seriously. And so Jesus answers him, you say so. Now, this is a, uh, an idiom in this language. Uh, it's another way to say, I am the king, but not in the way that you think about being a king. Uh, in, for, in John chapter 18, verse 36, same story, a different biographer. He gives us these details. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. In other words, the source and scope, Jesus says, of my kingdom is otherworldly. Jesus is a king unlike anything you've ever seen, and he is establishing a kingdom that transcends all the other kingdoms. Here is a no-name Roman governor who will wash his hands of Jesus and condemn him to die, and yet just 300 years later, Christianity will be instituted as the official religion in the Roman Empire, and the emperor of this empire will bow to Jesus as Lord. So we go from this place where Jesus doesn't have the appearance of a king to now the king is bowing to Jesus. All that to say this, it is a mistake to judge God's plan and purpose by outward appearance. You remember Abraham he was a fatherly, fatherless, elderly man, and yet God made him the father of many nations. Moses was a stuttering fugitive. God made him the spokesman and deliverer of his people. David was a skinny teenage boy. God made him into a giant slayer. Jesus was a homeless, penniless preacher. God made him the most influential man who's ever lived, the savior of the world, and the king of kings. God's ways are not our ways. The Bible says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. And so even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, God is moving, God is saving, God is restoring, God is ruling, God is reigning, God is working out his good purpose in your life, in your family, in our city, and in this world. In Jesus' name, there's always hope. In Jesus' name, there's always hope because he is a king unlike anything you've ever seen, and his kingdom transcends. It is above and beyond. It is greater in glory and in power than anything that we ever know. There's hope. Verse 3, the chief priest accused him of many things. Uh, Luke, another biographer of this same event, he gives us these details. There's three things that the Jewish leaders accuse Jesus of. They say he's stirring up trouble in our nation, He's telling people, don't pay taxes to Rome, and he's claiming to be king. Verse 4, Pilate questioned him, him again. Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. Pilate is begging Jesus, please defend yourself, because Pilate doesn't believe Jesus is guilty. He just doesn't see it. 
Problem is, if Jesus doesn't defend himself, he will be found guilty by default. Verse five, Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Now in Pilate's position as governor, every day between noon and, uh, or between uh, sunrise and noon, uh, he would listen to these cases. So I want you to think of all of the cases that he saw where these men who were guilty passionately defended themselves. You remember O.J. Simpson, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? He, Pilate heard that over, he heard all sorts of stories of people trying to defend themselves. And so Pilate is amazed and perplexed and a little bit frustrated that Jesus would not defend himself. This scene reminds me of a movie, uh, Superman, Man of Steel. Any of y'all seen this movie? It's kind of an old movie. In this scene, uh, Superman is handcuffed. And I just looked at this, and I just thought, how silly. Isn't that silly that you handcuff Superman? Because what can Superman do if he wanted to? Just blow him up, right? I mean, just rip those chains right off like they're paper chain. Well, it didn't, it's not confined him in any way. And so you see Superman here. He is in cuffs by choice. In the same way, John chapter 19, verse 10 through 11, Pilate asked Jesus, same, same event, different biographer, why won't you answer my question? Don't you know I have the power to let you go free or to nail you to a cross? Look how Jesus answered. You would, not, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. Jesus didn't have to be in this situation. Hear me. At any point, he could have ended it. He was in chains by choice. Listen to me. Rome didn't force Jesus here. The Father didn't force Jesus here. His love for you didn't force him here. Listen to me. A lot of Christians, they get this twisted. Like somehow, somehow, they're doing God a favor by following Jesus. Like that if, if you didn't end up in heaven, that God would somehow miss out, that God would somehow be empty. God is complete in and of himself. He needs absolutely nothing from any of us. There is nothing that forced him to do it. He did it by choice. It's by choice. Jesus didn't have to die for you. Listen to me. He chose to die for you. Huge difference. Didn't have to, chose to. Pilate was conflicted. He doesn't want to condemn an innocent man because he doesn't want that kind of blood on his hands. His wife has come to him. Other biographies tell us his wife's come to him. She said, I don't feel good about this. And so he's he kind of feeling weird about it. He's conflicted. And on top of it, at the same time, he doesn't want to cause a riot because he knows these Jewish people are half crazy, Remember? And so if they don't get their way here, who knows what they'll do. And if they, if they throw a riot, then he's going to end up on the fry line for another 10 years. And he doesn't want to end up in there. So Pilate uses a passive-aggressive approach. He remembers that he's got a Passover release program. And he's going to put, pass the buck. He's not going to make the decision. He's going to force the crowd to make a decision. Verse 6, at the festival, Pilate used uh, to release for the people, a prisoner whom they requested. So Pilate goes to the jails, the jailer. He says, okay, who do we got in here? 
And he goes through the lineup, and he sees a man named Barabbas, who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Other biographers give us more details. Not only was he a murderer, he was a thief. And so Pilate goes to the jail cell. He says, okay, what criminals do I got that I can put up? Show me the worst one. And they bring out Barabbas. Barabbas is a known, convicted, thief, murderer, rebel. Caught red-handed. No doubt about it. No plea. I mean, there's no excuse for this man. He is the worst criminal that that Pilate can find. Verse 8. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And so we see this crowd, and they're like, okay, give us, give us a prisoner. That's your, that's your custom, to release somebody to us every Passover. Now, this crowd, a lot of people, they'll, they'll say, well, this is the same crowd that praised Jesus as king on Sunday. They crucified him on Friday. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, this crowd, this is early morning. Uh, most of this crowd are locals because all the outer towners, the people that just came in for the Passover, uh, they, they wouldn't get there until about midday. And so these people were up in Jerusalem, the middle of the city, the very first thing in the morning. So chances are these are local people. Chances are they knew of Barabbas. Chances are they were advocates for Barabbas and maybe even rebels with Barabbas. And on top of it all, they were loyal to the Sanhedrin. So whatever the Sanhedrin said, that's what they would do. Verse 9, Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? And so Pilate, he brings out Two choices. He says, I'm going to release a captive, a, uh, somebody that's been arrested. I'm going to release one of them to you today. Pilate, the worst criminal in the jail today, or Jesus, the criminal or the king, the one who's obviously guilty for the one all of y'all know is innocent. Verse 10, for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over. They handed him over, not because Jesus was guilty, not because he deserved to be handed over. They handed him over because they were envious. They were envious of his popularity with the people. They were envious of the authority by which he spoke. How many today still despise and reject Jesus because they want the praise that is due him for themselves? How many today still despise and reject Jesus because they want the authority that he has to call what is evil, evil, and good, good? They want to be their own standard. They want to be their own Lord. They want to be their own king. Pilate passively, aggressively tries to free Jesus because he knows that all these people are just jealous. Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. The Jewish religious leaders were so self-interested, they were so obsessed with self-promotion and self-preservation, they didn't want to lose their position. They wanted a a higher position, and so they hated anyone that threatened their place to the point that they would rather align with with Barabbas, the criminal, than to submit to Jesus, the king. Verse 12, Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? This is Pilate's way of asking the crowd, how do you expect me to keep the peace? 
This is part of my job, Pax Romana. How am I supposed to keep the peace? How do I satisfy all of you people? Verse 13, again they shouted, crucify him. It's kind of ironic. Pilate asked, how do you want me to keep the peace? And their response is to say this, in essence, peace in this city requires a crucified Christ. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? How how am I supposed to satisfy all of you, Pilate says. Their response, in essence, the only thing that will satisfy us is a crucified Christ. Friends, no truer statement has ever been spoken. An insurrection can't save you. A political leader can't save you. An empty religion can't save you. Only Christ crucified can save you. No Christ, no peace. A promotion won't satisfy you. Greater influence won't satisfy you. Getting your way won't satisfy you. Getting more money, getting more fame, it won't satisfy you. Only Christ crucified can fill the void in your soul. Crucify him. Verse 14, Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Pilate, representing Roman authority, Rome being the ruling empire of the world, can find no grounds to condemn Jesus. And so what we see in this passage, both the court of heaven, remember Sanhedrin is the uh, the Jewish understanding was it was the court of heaven upon the earth. So now we have the court of heaven and the court of earth both testifying to the innocence of Jesus. What has he done wrong? They could find no charges against him. It is officially and legally documented for all the cosmos to see that Jesus Christ is the innocent one and yet condemned to die. That's important. Verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate, just like the Jewish ruling class, interested in self-preservation, self-promotion, he wanted to keep the peace. He wanted to save any trouble because he longed for promotion. Even at the cost of an innocent life, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Here's another interesting irony of this story. Pilate was obsessed with making a name for himself, and yet the only reason we know him is because of his association with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he was obsessed to the point that he was willing to send an innocent man to his death, to the point that he was willing to send the perfect man to his death because Pilate wanted to be greater. And yet the only reason we know him is because of his association with Jesus. Here's another way to think about that. Your life is eternally meaningless without Christ. Who knows the name of the emperor of Rome when Jesus died? If you do, just raise your hand. The most powerful man on the planet the day Jesus died. Most of us don't know. What's that tell you? We know Pilate. Why? Because he was associated with Jesus. He's infamous, right? He's probably damned. You see, 
Only life in Christ matters eternally. But the moment that you're in Christ, all you do matters. Because apart from Christ, everything you're building is a sandcastle. You realize that empires come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. Presidents come and go. Nobody remembers. You can't name me all the presidents. If you can, I'm sure it's a song. Right? It comes and goes. None of this stuff matters unless you're connected to Jesus. And unless your efforts are bringing glory to his eternal name and building his eternal kingdom, everything you're doing in this life is meaningless. We only know Pilate because he released Barabbas and handed Jesus over to be whipped and killed. Here's the final irony of today, and this is what this passage is really all about. Do you know what the word Barabbas means? It's a compound word. Bar means son of. Abba, what's Abba mean? Father. So Barabbas means son of the father. Interesting that the son of the father was handed over in exchange for the son of the father. Isn't that kind of strange? Isn't that kind of a weird coincidence? Randy told me we don't believe in coincidences. Isn't that right? So maybe God's trying to communicate something to us. Why was the son of the father exchanged for the son of the father? What's God trying to communicate? Mark chapter 10, verse 33, this is days before what's about to happen. Jesus says, we are on our way to Jerusalem where the son of man will be, what's that word? Handed over. Handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law of Moses. They will sentence him to death and hand him over to foreigners. Acts chapter 2 This is Peter preaching the very first Christian sermon ever. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs that God did among you through him, just as yourselves, you yourselves know. He was the perfect man. You know it. You saw it. God had already planned and decided that Jesus would be, what's that say? Handed over to you so that you took him and had evil men put him to death on a cross. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was what? Handed over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God's plan from eternity past was that the heavenly son of the father be handed over in exchange for the earthly son of the father so that all who trust in Christ might be declared children of God. That their soul might be satisfied in Christ. That their name might be written in the Lamb's book of life and never forgotten. You see, this event is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Jesus, the innocent one, died on the cross. A Barabbas, the guilty one, so that all who believe could be pardoned from the penalty of their sins. The righteous was handed over for the rebel. The Christ was punished in place of the criminal. The Savior suffered and the sinner was released. What was true of Barabbas physically, listen to me, it is true of all who believe spiritually. What was true of Barabbas physically is true of you today. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 5, But he was pierced 
because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Listen, friends, he was pierced because of our envious, thieving, murderous, rebellious ways. He was crushed because of our sin. He was punished. We were brought peace. The spotless lamb was slain so that all the lost sheep could come back to the Father. Superman was chained so that you might be set free. The great physician was wounded so that you might be healed. The sinless one was condemned so that you might be pardoned. God the Son despised and rejected by men so that you could be loved and accepted by the Father. Jesus died so that you might live. The Bible says, friends, that you are no better than Barabbas. You see, that's what we want to think. We want to think, you know, I'm kind of deserving of it, really. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I volunteer. I give a little bit of money here and there. I, I've never killed anybody. I've never lied too much. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. You see, there is no one who is worthy of the glory and goodness of God. We've all gone astray. All deserve the death sentence. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where we were. Just like Barabbas, you were sitting on death row spiritually, and you were awaiting your punishment. But all of a sudden, a messenger come and knocked on your door, and he delivered to you the gospel. You know what the gospel means? It's the good news. Here's the good news, friends. A righteous man has taken your place. The debt is paid. The sin that you committed, the crime that you committed has already been punished. He died so you can live. Your guilt is gone and you are free. That's the good news. And somebody told you that. I wonder, Barabbas heard that message Totally shocking to him. I mean, he's expecting to die later that day. They've already got his cross up. They've already got the hole in the ground for it. It's all prepared. And somebody busts into his prison, takes off his chains and says, hey, you're free to go. And he asks what happens. He says, well, this guy named Jesus, he's going to take your place. What happened to Barabbas? You ever thought about that? The Bible doesn't tell us. History doesn't even tell us. But wouldn't it be a shame if he never left that prison cell? Wouldn't that be a shame? If he just sat there with the chains off of him, in the corner, just awaiting him for the executioner to come and drop the hammer, just never believing, oh, there's no way I'm really, even though the door's wide open, even though the chains are off, wouldn't that be a shame? Hey, believer, you are set free from the penalty of your sins. In Jesus' name, 2,000 years ago, he paid the penalty for your sins. Don't you dare sit in that prison cell of guilt or shame for one more day. The Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. It is finished. The debt is paid. 
Justice has been served. There is no double jeopardy in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? And so when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, making accusations about all the sins and all the mistakes from your past, you point to the cross and you remind the devil, 2,000 years ago, my Lord and Savior, he died to pay the penalty for those sins. And so I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am sealed for the day of salvation. I am a son of the Father. I am a child of God, and there is nothing you can do about it. Be ashamed. Be ashamed if he sat in that prison cell for even one more day. Even worse of a shame if he went back to his criminal life. Can you imagine? Ended back up in prison. There he done all these evil things and he got caught and there he is biting his fingernails off and is pulling his hair out because he knows he's going to die the most excruciating death. And then this, this guard comes in, delivers him the gospel, the good news. He says, no, you're free. Jesus is dying in your place. And for him to go out in the streets and murder somebody again, steal from somebody again, and end up in the same exact prison cell, wouldn't that be a shame? Jesus willfully took your place on the cross. He made a choice to die in your place, knowing all of your guilt and shame, to give you a new and eternal life. He did it to set you free. And knowing that great sacrifice, how dare you go back to the streets? Knowing the sacrifice he paid to forgive you of your sins, how dare you go back to lying and cheating and pornography and gossip and greed and pride? How dare you go back to the crime you committed that Jesus died to free you from? How dare you? Jesus pardoned a lady. She was caught in the act of adultery. You remember this story. She's dragged out into the street. Uh, these men, uh, they want Jesus to be the judge, jury, and executioner and have her stoned. You remember this story. And so Jesus, he says, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Whoever is without sin, you throw the first stone. In other words, the person that is worthy of casting judgment, you, 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 live, you, you be the executioner. One by one, they drop their stones. And now it's just Jesus and this lady in the middle of the street. Everybody's gone. Jesus says, where are your accusers? She looks up and she says, they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. In other words, you're not going to have to pay a penalty for this crime you've committed because Jesus knows in a short amount of time, he's going to die to pay the penalty for her sins. Now, what does Jesus say after he does that? The last statement he makes to this lady, go and sin no more. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Jesus made a great exchange. He took your guilt and you received his righteousness. He took your punishment, and you received his reward. He took your death, and you received his life. The only proper response is for you to exchange your life 
that is self-obsessed with self-promotion and self-preservation and trying to get out of the fry line, try and make a name for yourself. You're so obsessed with that that you would be willing to murder the perfect man if it served your agenda. Whatever part of your life, whatever part of your heart is like that, crucify it, nail it to the tree, and live a life. Exchange that life for a life that is holy and pleasing to him. It's the only acceptable response. Let's all pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Lord, we are lost without him. We are meaningless without him. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us for losing sight of that. Forgive us for ever thinking too highly of ourselves that we might have somehow deserved this sacrifice that you made. No, Lord, remind us today that we were dead in our trespasses and shame. We were dead, Lord. We had no hope. We were lost in this world. We were dying in this world. But then you came and you changed everything. Lord, I pray that lands on us in a heavy way today. And I pray, Lord, as as we're confronted with that reality, it changes us from the inside out. That we might live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation and remembrance, dedication. In the back of the church, there's uh, emblems, crackers and juice. It represents the body and blood of Christ. What a great day to be reminded of the price that Jesus paid to free you from the penalty of your sins. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, to take those emblems and just celebrate the goodness of God and be empowered to live a life that honors him. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy burden of guilt or shame or just anxiety, depression, uh, maybe you just got some things in your life that you really need Lord to show up in. I've got great news for you. There is hope. There is hope. No matter how dire things seem, Jesus has done a whole lot more with a whole lot less many times before. If he's done it before, he can do it again. And so if you're here today and you're just carrying a load, whatever that load is, will you come and just kneel at this altar and just lay it down before Jesus? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Maybe you did in word, but not in deed. You did as a show, but not in reality. Will you come and talk to me? The Bible paints this picture that you, you're not even alive yet. You haven't even started living until you've surrendered your life to Christ. Pilate tried to save his life. He lost his soul. The Jewish leaders, they tried to save their position. They lost their soul. It's only when you surrender your life to Christ that you find it. So if you're here today and you're far from Christ, please come and talk to me. As we sing this song, come.